RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. It's Shabam, sponsored in part by Google. The sign up ahead says 23 goes to the right. We want to stay to the left. How much farther do you guys think it is? So in the last episode, Nadine, Owen, and Elliot used the awesomeness of roads and the power of their own legs to escape the city on bikes. Without a map, they had to navigate using landmarks. And at the town of Gaviota, they decided... Vandenberg is on the coast, we're on the coast. Let's stick to the coast. Agreed. So at this point, they've been on the road for almost five days. They've ridden almost 150 miles, and they've left the freeway to take small back roads keeping close to the ocean. They're down a pack of supplies, so they're running out of food and water. You know what would be great? I can think of a few things. It would be great if water fell from the sky here. You know, clouds, condensation, a real rainstorm, that's all I want. That's all you want? Okay, it's a start. Does uh, anyone else's butt hurt? Yes. Yes. This episode is called Killing Zombies. Because we're going to find out whether zombies or a zombie apocalypse could actually exist in the first place. We're going to try and kill them, but not like they do in the movies. We'll be doing it conceptually. Conceptually? Come on, man. I can't use my weapons on a concept. When you see a zombie in a movie, they have certain behaviors and physical characteristics. Let's explore what it takes biologically to produce a zombie. So what kind of zombie are we talking about? In the movies, we see a few different types. There are the fast ones, like in 28 Days Later, and the real slow ones, like in The Night of the Living Dead, and a whole bunch in between. The Zinskis that the kids encounter back at the house are kind of in the middle. Okay, some things movie zombies have in common. They were once your friends or your family, but now they want to eat you. They seem to not feel pain, and there's only one way to kill them, destroy their brains. But is it even possible for them to exist in the first place? And if they did exist, would they be as indestructible as they are in the movies? There's going to be two parts to this episode, and we're going to start with the thing that we talked about in episode one. Part one, the brain. So the question we are going to ask is, to be a zombie, what parts of the brain need to be working and what parts need to be broken? To help us explore the imaginary zombie brain, we talked to Tim Vestrinen. Vestrinen. Yeah, my last name is really hard to pronounce. My name is Timothy Versteinen. A neuroscientist at Carnegie Mellon University who studies the brain and who also happens to be obsessed with zombies. I've always had this fascination with zombies in particular just because they are always around you know there's there's phases of vampires and werewolves and frankenstein and they're all really tied to the same mythos where zombies seem to change you know and adapt as time goes on a neuroscientist who loves zombies that's totally convenient you're thinking well what's even more convenient is that in grad school he met another neuroscientist with the same obsession so we get into very long arguments about Whether or not it could be possible to make a zombie, what would you have to do to make a zombie? Tim and his friend Bradley turned all that arguing into a book called Do Zombies Dream of Undead Sheep? Which is all about the neuroscience of the zombie brain. Tim agrees, a lot of your brain would have to be working. Oh yes, you would need to have many parts of the brain intact in order to be a successful zombie. But other parts would have to be broken. Before we get into that, though, let's do some brain basics. The mushy stuff inside your skull is a complicated thing. Brain basics. (laughs) The brain is actually like a bunch of brains layered on top of each other, or kind of nestled around each other. To visualize this, try this. Make a fist with one hand. Now cover that fist with your other hand. And now get someone with bigger hands to cover that up. 
Now you have a very rough idea of how this layering works. Your fist on the inside is the very basic brain that deals with the basic stuff to keep you alive, like breathing and your heart beating, metabolism. Laid around that, there are some more brain structures that do more complex things like receiving information from your eyes and your ears, regulating sleep and body temperature. And finally, that outer brain layer is where we do all our thinking and our processing of what we see and hear and what we're imagining. And it's also where we put all our memories. Okay, so let's start out in this outer layer. As we mentioned before, zombies don't recognize the people that they knew before they got infected, which could be because they don't remember them. So let's look at a particular broken bit that seems to be the key to memory. Hey, Owen, look, a Volkswagen camper. Oh my gosh, it's even the same color. It's probably the same one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, remember dad gave it that weird nickname? Kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> you guys want to fill me in? Okay, so two summers ago, our dad bought an old VW camper and, like, planned this whole trip up the coast. Yeah, Mom was clearly not going for it. Unlike the second day, the camper got this horrible smell and we couldn't get rid of it. It smelled like feet. Like, terrible B.O. Oh, it was awful. Mom bought, like, 20 of those tree air fresheners, but nothing could get rid of the smell. So what did you do? Elliot and Owen are accessing what is called long-term memory long-term repercussions with our children because I These are memories that are stored in your brain for a long time, like stuff you learned in school, or people you met throughout your life. Happy birthday, you're a wizard, Elliot. Or things that happened to you two summers ago. <laughs> Woke up the third day and mom was gone. What? Yeah, she walked like five miles to a rental car place, picked us up in a brand new minivan. <laughs> Dad didn't say a word. Remember, <laughs> just got in the van with his trip planner and a bag of gummy bears. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds just like your dad. Yeah. There are also short-term memories. These are brand new memories that are constantly created, but only stay in your brain for a short period of time. As Nadine is listening to a story she's never heard before, she's using short-term memories to keep track of what's being said. And the key to memory is a part of the brain called the hippocampus, and it's shaped like a seahorse. The hippocampus is buried somewhere between your two temples. There's one on the right and there's one on the left. And the hippocampus is what takes your short-term memories and pushes them into other parts of your brain so they become long-term memories. Look, a Volkswagen camper. If you remove or you damage both the left and the right hippocampus, what happens is that you no longer can push those memories into your brain. You quickly forget what happened even just a few minutes ago. It's as if you're waking from a dream constantly. Not only are you unable to form new memories, but neuroscientists also think that the hippocampus is what allows you to retrieve old memories. Think of it like the read-write head of a hard drive. If that breaks, you can't write new stuff to your disk, but you also can't read any information off that disk even if that information is still there. So with a broken hippocampus, you might still have memories, but no way to get to them. And this would explain why zombies don't remember the people they used to know. Elliot? Yeah? What do you think happened to them? I don't know, Owen. How could they have not made it back to the house? We were there for three weeks. Well, actually, we know the answer to that question, and it relates to our discussion of memory. All three parents got bonked on the head and had amnesia. <laughs> no! No! That's wrong! <laughs> so what actually happened to the parents? Let's start with Miles, Nadine's dad. He was at work in Pasadena, which is about 20 miles from where the kids were in Culver City, when he got a call from Gina. Hey. Hey, Miles. 
has been trying to get through. She's safe. She's with Elliot and Owen. Can she stay at your place until I get there? Of course. Cyril and I don't have our car. I know of all the days. We're gonna grab a cab as soon as we can, but with the chaos down here, you might beat us there. I'm, I'm leaving now. When Miles pulled out of the parking garage, he accidentally hit someone with his car. And when he got out to check on them, he realized it was his coworker, Jerry Noonan. Jerry, are you all right? You just ran out in front of my car. Whoa, 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 buddy. Hey, hey, it, it's me, Miles, from Finance. Hey. It's pretty clear that Jerry doesn't hey. remember Miles. But there's obviously more going on because Jerry's behavior has also completely changed. What is going on? Sir, back away. What's wrong with Jerry? Did he touch you at all? I, I don't know. What is going on? Sir, you have a cut on your hand. I got that earlier. We need you to come with us. I, I can't. My kid is waiting for me. Sir, we're asking nicely. That's not going to last long. Miles was put in quarantine for 48 hours, and Jerry was tased a few more times and brought to the hospital in restraints. So the question is, what else is broken in Jerry's brain that makes him behave like this? For this, we have to explore the top part of the brain called... The neocortex. When you see a picture of the brain, that's what you're seeing. It's that pink, wrinkly stuff. The neocortex is a very complicated, thinky bit of the brain. This thinky bit does all kinds of things. It allows for us to recognize faces. Hmm. That looks like Jerry and Miles. What are they doing in the parking lot? Are they fighting? It allows for us to have goals. I should find out what's going on. It allows for us to have values. Important to make sure your coworkers are okay because... Holy shamrock! What are they doing? It allows for us to plan our actions or make a decision. I'm gonna go tell Susan. Susan, Jerry just attacked Miles and two cops arrested him. What? It also allows us to speak and understand language. What are you talking about? Did you not understand me? And it's this wrinkly part on the outside that really makes us who we are because it's where our personalities come from. Damage to the neocortex will lead to very specific types of personality changes depending on where in the neocortex you are. So, just to get our bearing. First, we talked about the seahorse-looking thing between your temples, the hippocampus. Now we're talking about the big wrinkly thing that surrounds the hippocampus known as the neocortex. Well, the front section of the neocortex, the stuff right behind your forehead, has a name too. It's called the prefrontal cortex. If you damage different parts of the prefrontal cortex, what happens is that people become somewhat impulsive. They will get very angry very easily if someone cuts them off in traffic or they will eat food that is not theirs because it's right in front of them. And we see this lack of control in zombies. They tend to not have this conscious ability to make rational decisions. And we think that might be due to damage to the prefrontal cortex. Okay, so zombies are impulsive. They don't have memories, or at least they can't access them, but they're also really aggressive which means we have to look at another part of the brain called the amygdala, which sits basically right behind your eyeballs. It's a little almond-shaped area. We know from our Zinsky encounters that anybody affected with the Nox virus gets aggressive and attacks people. Attacking people is part of what we call the fight or flight response. And we think that in the zombie brain, the first part is probably broken. The flight part, where you run away. Whereas the second part is probably working overtime. One way to think about this is like a switch. You can think of the brain as just a complex set of switches. Some turn on and some turn off. So in the amygdala, there's a runaway switch 
and a fight switch. And depending on the situation, sometimes one is on, sometimes one is off. Other parts of the brains have switches too, that do things like tell you when it's time to sleep, or when you're hungry. So what about the zombie brain? In this case, the zombie brain is a very particular set of on and off switches that are stuck and don't change like they change your brain or mine. In a normal brain, our switches are constantly changing position based on what we need or what's going on around us. But in the zombie brain, this switchboard has been damaged and in such a way that the switches are kind of stuck like this. Impulse control, off. Attack, on. Sleep, off. Eat, on. And this would explain the change from human to zombie behavior. All right, so we looked at some of the parts of the brain that need to be broken to make a zombie. Now let's look at what still needs to be working. Let's take Jerry again. Hi, Jerry. We know from Jerry and the other Zinskis that we saw at the supermarket, Nadine's house, and the freeway that they can walk pretty fast, grab, and bite. We take this for granted, but to move around like this involves constantly coordinating a bunch of smaller movements in the legs, feet, hands, and head. And the reason we can take it for granted is because of another part of the brain called the cerebellum. Cerebellum. It looks like a little cauliflower that rests just on the underside of your brain. So the underside of your brain in the back, right? So where we are, we move from the wrinkly top part to the back and then underneath. Some zombies, the fast zombies, uh, don't have the same motor problems as the slow zombies. Problems like wide-legged walks or stumbling or getting your arms out when you're moving. Fast zombies don't do any of that. In terms of the way they move, it seems like those motor systems in the brain are very well intact. So to get the zombies we see, you would need to have a, a working, healthy cerebellum. And we also know from previous episodes, turn off the Christmas lights and hand me the glow sticks, that they are okay. attracted to light and sound, and that they can see at least on a basic level. So they would need to have all of what we call their primary senses intact. So not just the sense organs like the nose, ears, and eyes should be working, but also the parts of the brain that process those senses. Some of that happens in the neocortex, some of that happens in other basic parts of the brain. So, recap. To explain Zinsky behavior, what needs to be broken in the brain? One, hippocampus, busted. No access to memory. Two, parts of the neocortex, busted. No impulse control, no language, no reasoning, no planning. Three, the amygdala, partially busted. No flight response. And the parts that still need to work? In terms of basic functions, we need the cerebellum to coordinate movement, you need the sense processing centers of the neocortex, and you also need part of the amygdala to be working to keep fight switched on. And here's the problem. Could a virus knock out these specific areas of the brain while not affecting other specific areas? Probably not. The problem is that there's often no hard boundaries between different parts of the brain. For example, we talked about how if you damage the neocortex in one area, you might have no impulse control. Well, if you damage in a slightly different place, you may get the exact opposite behavior. A person who just sits there and doesn't do anything. They're alert, but they're just kind of out of it. And that's a problem for a zombie virus. When viruses do really attack the brain, they tend to just damage large parts of the brain without caring what part of the brain it is. Whereas to make something like a zombie, you would have to have a pathogen that would attack very specific areas of the brain in a very specific way while leaving other areas right next to it perfectly fine. So does that mean that it's impossible for a virus to create a zombie? Well, I'm a scientist, so nothing's impossible, but there's a, it's a very, very low, probability of occurring. 
Okay, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to think like scientists and assume the improbable is true. What, what's your favorite show you're watching right now? Super Brain Power Wonder Team. Super Brain Power Wonder Team? Is that a real show? Of course. Mm, I've not heard of this show it's before. It's my favorite show. It's like so cool. Well, how come I've never heard of Defenders of the mind. Yeah, it's so cool. Heroes of the head. Super Brain Power Wonder Team. But who are these fearless protectors? Hippocampus Man. Hippocampus Man? You can't fight if you can't remember why you're fighting. His power <laughs> is to make people forget. And how does he do that? Try my forgettable ray. <laughs> forgettable ray. The forgettable ray? Admiral Amygdala. Who's that? Time to fight. Admiral Amygdala. Oh, oh no, wait. Run away. Not yet, Admiral Amygdala. Try this. <laughs> Great shot, Hippocampus Man. What about the woman? Thanks, Sarah. Sarah Bella. Sarah Bella. And, and what does Sarah do? Awkward movement magic. It's working. <laughs> that was close. And how does her power work? It works so people cannot move right. So her magic makes it so people are uncoordinated? Yeah. It's a very specific power. Yeah. It's time to get uncoordinated. <laughs> Super Brain Power Wonder Team. So cool. Okay, we got another zombie tip for you. Zombies have no short-term memory because of their damaged hippocampi. So anytime they're chasing you, if they lose sight of you for even a few minutes, they'll forget what they were doing and you increase your chances of escaping. These are great tips, and that's why we should support the show, right? Yes. Remember, the best way to support the show is to send gold. That's, that's right. right. To send gold or, or go to yeah. patreon.com forward slash shabam. Or you can get cool stuff. Where you can get cool stuff. Audio updates. Or you can go to iTunes and do three iTunes simple things. Three things. Uh, subscribe. Subscribe. Review. review like. Yeah, right, like. Subscribe. Review. review and like. Bing, bang, boom. Easy. Okay, there's a lot of likes flying around. Yes. Just, don't just like in scrutiny. Like. Ah, it hurts. Be selective. And you should also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Yeah, YouTube. Like. Ow, stop it. And you can get all that information from our website. Like. Ouch. Shabamshow.com. Like. 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 Just do me a favor and just like the show and nothing else, okay? You're not going to say thanks for putting it all at the end? Not in the beginning? No, it's because you keep liking it. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.